forever and ever, the cannabis plant was only grown outside under the sun. As it became increasingly prohibited and then demonized totally for the convenience of some American politicians, cannabis farmers had to move to more clandestine areas and then eventually indoors under artificial light. Indoor cannabis cultivators and renegade outdoor farmers kept the spirit of cannabis alive during those dark years. They continued to study the botany of the plant, sustained its medicinal traditions, and hybridized its traits to develop some really amazing genetics. Now that cannabis has been able to come out of hiding, smart commercial growers are blending the power of growing under the sun with the best practices of indoor growing, resulting in greenhouses of all sizes that incorporate light deprivation technique. Light dep is a strategy that uses blackout material to cut off sunlight from the plants in order to fool them into thinking that it's fall and they should start to flower. Even though it's exceptionally common in many places now, the first you hear of the idea as a grower, it's truly mind-blowing. If you enjoy hearing frank discussions that dive deep into cannabis health, business, and technique, I encourage you to subscribe to our newsletter. Every week, you'll receive a new podcast episode delivered right to your inbox, along with commentary on a couple of the most important news items from the week. Social media sites are becoming increasingly unreliable in showing us everything we subscribe to, so sign up for the Shaping Fire newsletter to make sure you don't miss an episode announcement. Today's guest on Shaping Fire is Eric Branstad, co-founder of Forever Flowering Greenhouses based in the Emerald Triangle of Northern California. Eric is a longtime cultivator and has become one of the most, if not the most, important voice in light depth greenhouses. Today we're going to talk to him about just that. Welcome to the show, Eric. Hey, Shango, thanks for having me. So, you know, we're obviously going to talk about light depth today, but, but let's start with the incredible boom in cannabis greenhouses all over the country. I know that you're traveling all over the place, setting them up and consulting with folks. What are you seeing? Well, I'm just seeing everybody trying to find their place right now, and it seems like the, the shift is really, really going towards greenhouses more than ever. And so, um, you know, I guess... 10, 11 years ago, I mean, I started with this company 10 years ago, and so it was really stuffing envelopes and trying to show people what really light depth greenhouses are to the point now where people, you know, know what they are and they know what they want to get into. They just are fishing around for which company at this point to, to go with. And so the green rush has always been kind of happening in my eyes, you know, being on the front lines, answering phones and things like that, but it's not quite been the same kind of rush. I guess it's always been the green green idea for over the years, but now it's the full-on green rush. Yeah, actually, we had uh, Dr. Dominic Corva on the show several weeks ago, and he said, you know, everybody says that now that California has legalized that the green rush is coming to California. He says, people don't understand. The green rush started in California in the 70s has never stopped. <laughs> it, it, he's right, and that dude knows what's up. I like him a lot, and I, 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 I can agree with that sentiment because California really, in my opinion, has been the mecca for outdoor cannabis cultivation. Um, you know, being up in the Emerald Triangle and Humboldt County and things like that. Um, and so people have always been moving there or moving up to Northern California to, you know, to get away from something or just to get up north. You know, a lot of people originally, when I moved up to Humboldt in 1992, the majority of people that were there were either loggers or people that transplanted from Southern California. And so it was still a lot of tight-knit California people, but it was really a lot of, you know, most people that had set up shop in Humboldt back in the early 90s that had been there a while or that were fairly new to the area were mostly Southern California people from what I found. 
And now it's to the point where people are coming from all over the United States. I mean, I've even seen people from other countries that are, you know, in organizations or belong to certain groups or families or have ties or whatever that are now, you know, trying to be in the Emerald Triangle as well. And it's not just the Emerald Triangle, it's the California in general now too. So as much as the Green Rush used to be Northern California, I think it's safe to say that it's the generally speaking California is seeing the green rush all the way around. Right on. And so uh, just so people don't pigeonhole you as just being uh, doing greenhouses in California, um, where around the country have you been, you know, let's say in the last six months building out greenhouses? I know that you're doing lots of work in the new medical States. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, we have greenhouses going up as far away from here as Maine. So, I mean, that's pretty much, you know, uh, coast far, to coast. <laughs> yeah, it is. And so, um, uh, you know, we have greenhouses going up in Arizona, Maine, a lot of the legal states for the most part. Um, I wouldn't say in all of them, though. I mean, I'm still working on some of the other states that went legal, um, you know, and there's other greenhouse companies to choose from. So it's not just us, but we have been advertising nationwide and I do trade shows, you know, as far away as New York City. We'll do one in Boston this fall. And uh, I speak at a lot of those events, as you know. You and I like to meet up at a lot of these events. And so. Actually, you're probably the number one cannabis keynote speaker in the country, as far as I'm concerned, right now. I mean, I like your pitch anyway, but I mean <laughs> the I mean the commonplace of you, right? Because people people want to know about light depth. People are moving away from indoor and towards you know light assisted greenhouses or light depth. And um and you know you're just you're just a friendly dude who gives a good talk. And so you know everywhere I go. <laughs> I already see that you're like giving the keynote or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been fun. I mean, I, I really like to, you know, I guess uh, speak about the light depth greenhouses and cannabis production, you know, first and foremost. And then, you know, I've been doing it so long, I start to, you know, get on a rant about some of the topics or these things going on. And I have a lot of passion behind it. And so. It, it's fun, you know. I don't mind getting up and talking. I used to be pretty nervous. I still get really nervous about it. Let's let's put it that way. But I mean, I enjoy getting out there and getting the message across. And I think people enjoy, you know, hearing it sometimes because I come from a pretty authentic side of things rather than a textbook, you know, uh, you know, possibility side. You know, a lot of dreamers are going on out there, and a lot of people just getting into the industry, and they do have some credentials. But I'm really speaking on a background of. 10, 11 years of, you know, the business history. And then previous to that, I was a kid running around in Humboldt and all these other places. And so it, it's turned into data in some way or another. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right on. So so let's get let's get into light in the light depth. So I you know I've got a bunch of questions for you, you know, sure. about, you know, modern light depth greenhouses. But, you know, even though those of us who are already in the industry talk about light depth all the time, there are still, you know, the majority of people don't understand the idea behind light depth. So um, would you kind of like, you know, get a little old school and talk about um, the early techniques for light depth so that when we talk about the greenhouses, people will see, oh, I see how you've, uh, you know, it used to be a cardboard box and now it's a whole building. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, and you're right. There's a lot of people that are, you know, into the industry, getting into the industry and other states and places that just aren't familiar with what we're talking about. Um, all the way they might have heard the terminology but they don't quite know what's going on <clears throat> and so uh 
you know, light depth is basically, you know, I sometimes like to compare it to indoor growing. A lot of people understand indoor growing techniques. Um, and you can also look at outdoor growing of corn, let's say. When you plant the seed, it doesn't automatically, you know, give you corn. You got to wait till the end of the summer, which is the shorter days. When the days naturally get shorter, cannabis plants and a lot of vegetable crops come into season. And so as fall comes into season, we have the harvest time for a lot of different crops, but especially cannabis. And years ago, people, you know, if they didn't grow indoors, they had to wait till Mother Nature pulled the trigger so that you could, uh, you know, get the f- flowers and harvest, you know, um, at the end of the season. And so in order to beat that cycle or to do that, indoor was one way to do it, but the other way to do it was to, you know, cover up the greenhouses or cover up the garden in some way or another um, with a tarp or the earliest methods were the cardboard box. Um, they called it black boxing in 1992 when I lived up in the Humboldt area. They'd actually take a big cardboard box that was the size of a refrigerator box or a washing washer and dryer and they would individually cover each plant and the idea was just to go out uh in in the evening time before it got dark and encouraged darkness so they were actually forcing the darkness on the plants um without waiting for mother nature to do it and so by putting the plants in the dark um in june at 5 30 in the afternoon or whatever time it would be uh, the plants flowered, and so people would actually be able to harvest before everyone else. But at that time, the product was terrible. I mean, it really was something that, you know, I don't I don't think too many people were proud of. They quick-dried it. It was just not the best product, even though it was available early when no one else had anything. And so now when we jump light years ahead into these greenhouses that, you know, one can be manually pulled tarps, you know, over a hoop house or something. And two, the automated version, the real goal, you know, people are able to use these greenhouses and get up to five harvests a year using the sun um, versus, you know, just being indoors using electricity, getting the same amount of harvest, but the overhead's a little higher. And then also the outdoor grower that plants the seed or brings out the clone and it flowers when it flowers due to Mother Nature's forces. And so with that being said, it doesn't take away indoor use. I mean, indoor growers still are, exist with the light depth greenhouses because in some cases you have to veg the plants. And so a lot of people um, that are new to cannabis in general too, plants grow with 18 hours of sunlight. They won't produce flowers or fruit. Um, with that much sunlight or available light indoors or outdoors it's only until you cut the lighting back to 12 hours on and off 12 hours of light 12 hours of darkness that cannabis plants will flower and so that's really easy to do indoors when you have a timer but it gets a little bit more tricky when you're outside dealing with the sun because if you don't have enough money for an automated greenhouse um, you got to pull some tarps or manually cover the greenhouses or that outdoor garden. And so we've developed ways over the years to help make that easier. A lot of people are still do-it-yourselfers. And then we also offer the automated greenhouses now that you can set a timer, kind of like the indoor growers set a timer, but we're setting a timer for our curtains to close because we can't turn off the sun, but we can choke it out with these light depth curtains. And so one of the ways that I found out a lot of people were new to this whole experience is I jumped on another social media site called Reddit recently and did a few posts. And it was amazing how many people 
had no idea or hadn't heard of it didn't even believe it was true and so it was it was kind of it was cool i was it was fun to be around a lot of people that hadn't had the experience or have known about it before um because it's just that that's how how uh how small our community is within this big industry yeah, for sure. And you know, you're talking about different levels of experience too. You got the people who are all new to it, who are a blown away by the just the the idea of it, yeah. and, then, and then they realize that they can get more than one crop a year, which blows their mind when they start running the numbers. And then you've got folks that that have been doing light debt, but they've been doing it, you know, the back breaking way, where you know you're using uh, tarps and you're hand pulling tarps, and you know that works and it's smart, but that's a bitch. It is. And that's the that's the problem with pulling tarps is that it gets very cumbersome and it gets uh, difficult. And so what people tend to do is try to make gadgets and things and 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 make, you know, working smarter, not harder happen. But there's always pros and cons to all that. And so, you know, it's not something I can get into in seminars and presentations that I go over. But, you know, there's a lot of people that are just kind of not putting the layers together properly with these greenhouses, especially in the summertime, that causes the product to either, you know, not come out how it's supposed to or just isn't as manageable as people want it to. And so then there comes this idea that the only way to do it is with an automated greenhouse if you're going to get into it um, in a commercial style. And so, you know, if people have that notion, sometimes they're not getting into it. And so I do recommend a lot of times that people do get a basic hoop house that are just getting into this and get some of the, you know, easier mechanisms that we offer to pull tarps because, and I'm not talking about everybody and all the investors, but to get a good grower to know what they're doing and to really learn the craft, it's not that big of a deal to pull some tarps for two months. Totally. And you can, you can, you know, take some of the profits from that extra, that extra cycle that you did and, you know, you know, upgrade your material. You know, before we get into that though, and what a modern, uh, uh, light depth greenhouse is going to look like, let's go to our first commercial. Um, you are listening to Shaping Fire and my guest today is Eric Brandstad, co-founder of Forever Flowering Greenhouses. If you like podcasts like Shaping Fire, chances are that you'll like audiobooks too. Just like with podcasts, audiobooks speak to you, tell you stories, and teach you stuff. Here's the thing. Audible.com has an offer that I want to tell you about. Right now, they are offering a trial of their audiobook service for absolutely free. You can go to shapingfire.com forward slash audible, and you'll get a free audiobook straight up. You can listen to it on your mobile device, computer, or download it and listen to it, you know, like anywhere. It's really simple. Of course, they want you to subscribe to their service after the free trial and enjoy audiobooks forever, but you don't have to. All you have to do to get the free audiobook of your choice is to just check out the service for free. And the service is pretty great. There are whole sections on permaculture, sci-fi, history, um, biography. Hell, you can even listen to a book about card counting in blackjack. Whatever, it's all pretty rad. So that's the deal. Your first book is free. It's easy to sign up. It's easy to quit. And their online library of free books is pretty incredible. So just check it out. Go to shapingfire.com forward slash audible to find out more. Or just click on the link in this week's newsletter. Welcome back. You are listening to Shaping Fire. I am your host, Shango Lose. And our guest this week is Eric Brandstad, 
co-founder of Forever Flowering Greenhouses. So during the first set, we were talking about the history of light depth and the fact that you can get more cycles per season if you're covering up your crop for some of the time, uh, kind of fooling the crop to think that uh, winter is coming and it needs to pop up those uh, flowers all of a sudden. But, you know, uh, most people are thinking about commercial production and light depth now. And, you know, there's a there's a real range of options. You know, you can you can get a hoop house and get some technology to pull it, uh, pull a tarp um, or all the way up to having, you know, a super sexy custom built greenhouse where everything is automated. Um, Eric, would you kind of like give us an idea of the range of solutions of light depth so that different folks can kind of consider what might be the option for them? Yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, you know, and we do it. Yeah, there is ranges of ways to do it. I mean, originally people were trying to do their outdoor gardens and so they were just getting a cheap plastic and rigging up some kind of mechanism wires or you know it became that's why hoops got popular for light depth because it was able to hold up a black tarp and keep it from you know laying on the plants and then it was like oh well this hoop is kind of handy because if it rains i can put a piece of plastic over it and i'm not going to get my plants rained on and so for a long time it was kind of like you know a lot of people were just wanting to do light depth but then up in the emerald triangle we get a lot of rain towards the fall and so you can get rains that are a week before harvest even that can be fairly devastating and so at one point the greenhouses were popular for the weather part of it and then people had the greenhouses and were like oh well i heard of this light depth thing we could maybe pull some tarps or do something like that and so there became a whole range of people interested in light depth and a lot of it had to do with budget concerns maybe the size of the plot of land that they had and so we have little hoop houses that are 16 feet wide and only 12 feet long um, that somebody could have essentially stand on a step ladder and pull a tarp over uh, the outside of it without really too many gimmicks or gadgets that same greenhouse can be um, you know, 144 feet long, and it gets a little bit more difficult to pull that tarp over the outside, but we do offer some solutions to make it easier. And there's other companies that make certain uh, mechanisms that help pull the tarp a little bit, but it's really tricky to get automated ones because a lot of the automated options on the really low-tech greenhouses become more expensive than the actual frame or the hoop itself. <laughs> So sometimes you're better off just trying to pull tarps and a lot of people go, well, I got to have a life or I don't, you know, they have a lot of reasons why they can't do it. And so part of the reasons are is because people imagine the times that they pull their curtains um, are much like an indoor time would be. And a what I mean by that is indoor growers typically like to run their lights at nighttime and so lights might come on at seven in the evening and turn off at seven in the morning because the nighttime air is able to keep things cooler um historically it was also the time that pg e used to come around and read the meter and so nobody wanted their meters spinning 100 miles an hour <laughs> when pg e was looking with their binoculars from the driveway at your meter and so running the lights at night was always the way to do it and so now we have people that pull their light depth covers from seven in the evening and uncover at seven in the morning the problem with that is that you got to be there at seven every night which isn't the hugest thing but People have games and kids and stuff to do. And then there's also the factor that you're suffocating those plants for 12 hours under that tarp. 
people used to go out in the middle of the night and burp the greenhouses by pulling up the fabric and letting the hot air kind of escape. But, you know, that means you got to get up in the middle of the night and then you got to be up at seven in the morning. And historically, when my doing this, you know, cannabis growers weren't always up at seven in the morning. <laughs> and so pull, uncovering the tarps, it was just, there's, I'm not doing it. You know, it became really aggravating and the product was very inferior as well. Like I was saying in the earlier segment. And so, um, w one of the things I learned along the way was that we can pull our tarps according to how much sun is available in the morning and the evening. And so what I mean by that is that when the sun comes up in the morning, the plants start to wake up at a different time than when we see the light. So our eyes pick up color and things that the plants really don't pick up. They don't have eyeballs like we do. And so when the plants actually wake up, it's a little bit um, more light out than, than one would think. And so the best way to gauge that is to use a light meter. And so by going out with a light meter like a photographer uses to measure the lux, you can actually um, sit out in the green, out by the garden early in the morning before the sun, as the sun is coming up. And when it registers from zero to whatever number, it could be one or it might jump to uh, uh, 15, you know that it's light and the plants are awake. And so the, at that point, we know in 12 hours at time, we need to cover those plants. And so a lot of times, you know, the first lumen at my garden would be 525 in the morning. And so I had to be at my garden at 525 in the evening to cover them up because it was 12 hours of light. And so a lot of people go, but it's still sunny out. It's still, you know, but tough luck. It's 12 hours of light. And I'm trying to get people to be able to deal with this manual concept. And so the idea is to make sure that you cover them at 530 with a white exterior cover or 525 p.m. And the white exterior cover helps reduce the heat gain that can be associated with a black tarp. A lot of people would use a black tarp because it's cheaper and easier to find, but it encourages more solar gain. And that the last thing we need when we're covering up a, a cannabis garden in a greenhouse when it's 525 in the evening. But what that allows you to do is uncover the plants the minute it's dark and you don't have to be out there again until 525 the next day. And so we're basically talking about covering the garden at dinner time and uncovering at bedtime. And you can go out there and look when the last lumen disappears. Typically that's um, before the sun actually goes down. And so I don't need a flashlight to go uncover my greenhouse because it's not dark enough for me to see, but it's dark enough for the plants to be asleep. And that's a tough pill for people to swallow, but it's the truth. And if you can go by that regimen, a lot of people are fine. But the one thing I would say to that low-tech method and that idea, it's very affordable, but you need to use the greenhouse properly. And so backing up to greenhouses, like we talked about a little bit in the other segment, is that greenhouses were made for wintertime. And then if you think about that, you know, that means, well, we don't want to use a greenhouse in the summer. And that's partially true because greenhouses can actually trap too much air, heat up, and it makes people have to do things like turn on fans and maybe want an air conditioner and all these other things. And so a hoop house, in my opinion, it gets even more low tech because we don't really need exhaust fans and all these things we can actually make the greenhouse more of a shelter rather than a greenhouse and so i like to differentiate 
summer mode and winter mode greenhouses is two different things because the way we run them in the winter is not how we run them in the summer. And so a simple hoop house doesn't need to have end walls and doors or fans. It can merely just be an open tunnel. And then I like to have the sidewalls up off the ground at least three to four feet. And at that point, we're really creating a canopy or a shelter, so to speak, so that we avoid the solar gain and the greenhouse effect. And then we also use the proper greenhouse cover, which is a diffused poly-woven greenhouse cover. And diffusion, high diffusion, spreads the light uniformly so that it actually doesn't have hot spots that causes the plants themselves to heat up. Because plant temp and air temp are two different things. And so we can have high air temp and still keep the plant temps low through this method that I'm talking about. And then when we pull our light depth cover at 5.30 in the evening, we don't see the humidity spike like a lot of the other cases that we hear about because people have been trapping air too much, using too clear of a cover, or even using the black ground cover and black grow bags. All those things encourage more surface temps, which add more air temps to the greenhouse. And so what we want to do is calm down all these things and use white ground cover, tan grow bags, a diffused greenhouse cover, stop trapping air and we're in a summer mode greenhouse and cannabis is going to go crazy you're going to pull your light depth covers you're not going to see the humidity and condensation um, that everybody else you know the the horror stories that people talk about a lot of times because they're just not quite putting the layers together properly and the low-tech version can be very profitable for people um, and low overhead and it actually works for a lot of small craft farmers um, and then when we go into the mid-tech greenhouses, we're talking about the gothic-shaped greenhouses that can be um, manual sidewalls and ridge vent or automated with an automated blackout option. It can be basic. It can be deluxe. You know, there's a lot of ways to skin the cat in the gothic frames we have. And then... You know, the ultimate greenhouses, the A-frame greenhouses that really, you know, when you're looking at them from the front, they straight sidewalls to an A-frame peak, and they can be gutter connected, so they create a mega structure, and you've got all these different bays with, you know, vegging and flowering, and, and you know, they're really, you know, commercial, like full on, but they're very expensive, and you've got to have the right property and permitting and all these things, whereas some of these low-tech, mid-tech greenhouses are fairly affordable at entry level um, you can learn the craft you can get a lot done you can pull the same type of product out of a low tech mid tech and high tech as long as you follow some of the procedures that I had talked about and on the mid tech greenhouses like the gothic you don't have to worry about stripping it down like we talked about in the hoop house because the gothic frames allow you to have a roof vent on the top that it goes from one end to the other that's four feet wide and so you open that roof vent and then these gothics have six-foot tall sidewalls that you can roll up, manual or automated. And so when you have a six-foot sidewall rolled up and a roof vent open, you can still leave the end walls on and the doors secure, and you have a lot more flexibility that way. And at that point, you also have a timer for your curtains, and you can basically throw away the idea that I taught you about manual light depth and go back to even the 7 to 7 thing that you're uh, indoor growers might have been used to because you get so much sun at your garden all the way till seven in the evening or whatever then you pull your curtains and that way your curtains on these automated systems are breathable you know we can have the exhaust system with the light traps we call them breathable walls over the exhaust fans and intakes and so even when the blackouts closed the zone isn't going to heat up because we have all this breathability 
and uh, you can open the curtains again at seven in the morning when the greenhouse is practically getting into full sun and so you know there's the manual mode i guess or strategy to do it and the summer strategy or the automated strategy to do it but ultimately the goal is the same to avoid the solar gain in the greenhouse not have significant colors that are encourage more surface temps um, and make sure we use the right greenhouse cover and everything will be great. I, <clears throat> I really like how you uh, you clarify or lay out rather the buffet of options, right? Because at the yeah. very base level, I mean, you can just use your muscles and and some uh, and a tarp, and boom, mm-hmm. you are decreasing the light, and you are causing your plants to flower much earlier in the season. So it's like, mm-hmm. bam, you are doing light depth. Yeah, but, but then, but then, if you want to then, then upgrade and start thinking about um, uh, how much extra heat that you're keeping in your greenhouse, and and change, you know, the the color of your pots and and what you're uh, putting on the ground, and and you know, uh, allowing more ventilation. Now you're doing light depth, but you're also helping the plants because you can do you know all of these inexpensive techniques just on color choice of what you purchase. That's going to be helping you not retain this uh, too much heat during the summer so that you can still do your your light depth in a greenhouse in the summer without cooking your plants. And then, you know, if you've got serious investment capital, well, then, yeah, you can step up and and, you know, maybe get something custom built where where now you've got all the best practices worked out together. So it just depends on what your budget is and what you what you want your experience to be. And also you can kind of work your way up right as as you're getting more cycles and being able to make more profit off of um, the the new cycles that you're having, you can take some of that money and reinvest it. And so, you know, in just a few cycles, now you've got a, a totally sick year round greenhouse. You're absolutely right about that too, because a lot of people call me and go, what should I do? Or how should we scale up? What's the best plan here? You know, obviously the goal is the mega structure for a lot of these investors, but they got plants that are, they've already got seeds popping right now and things like that, you know? And so it's like, yeah, it's hard to get stuff and build it and have it ready to hand you the keys in the amount of time it takes for some of these structures or some of these setups. Might even be that the property's not ready and the grading has been done and all these other things that don't even have to do with the 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 manufacturing or the producing of the greenhouse. And so, a lot of people are also investing in a lot of properties right now that you know need fencing and they need power upgrades and they need you know they need infrastructure and stuff to even support port a greenhouse a processing facility drying rooms and all this stuff and so with that being said it's pretty easy to get some of these hoop houses and you know for a lack of better terms bang them out real quick and like you're saying you can encourage a couple you know you can encourage revenue while all this other master planning is going on and so yeah you might pull tarps for a round or two while the mid-tech or high-tech greenhouse is being built but it's better than just being sitting in the water you know sitting dead in the water not doing anything waiting for the mega structure to be built or permitted or whatever it takes and so i see a lot of people with wasted time and space and and things go by because they are hung up by red tape and the way that they see they want to do it 
And a lot of times that's the automated, all the bells and whistles where, you know, most growers are fine with the low tech. There's always somebody around that can pull some tarps or, you know, it's easy to hire someone that's strong and can do this type of stuff for a couple months or even a season. And that goes also to the equipment that we buy. I have a lot of people, you know, we went through a really harsh winter here in California particularly, and I think up and down the West Coast for rains and snow and things like that. And one of the things I get a lot of phone calls now that the sun's out, we went from zero to 100, and people are needing greenhouses yesterday, and they keep asking me, well, I need a heater. And by the time a lot of people buy most of these greenhouses and actually get them installed, I doubt that they're going to turn the heater on much because we're just trending towards spring. And so... The other thing people automatically by default want to buy are lights for the greenhouse. And at this point, we're going to be needing curtains more than we're going to need lights. You can maybe need lights for vegging, but, you know, a lot of this equipment people buy and it, it stays turned off for four or five months where they could have used that cash for something else because they're still growing in that greenhouse and going to make some cash. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, hold, hold that purchase off until the end of October after you crop the, the natural summer crop and then buy that stuff with the revenue that you've pulled from the three cycles that you already have done. Correct. And that's the thing. You know, you, we want our heating systems and our lights to be in the greenhouses and ready, let's say, by Thanksgiving. You know, I always say that's a good goal to have. And so if you can pop off a round or two before Thanksgiving and whatever it is, or even in the in the main greenhouse, you can still add the lights and that heating system during harvest season for everyone else. And that's also kind of the goal of Light Dep is to make sure you're not harvesting when everybody else is. Yeah, because if you're if you can if you're able to bring that product to market first, you're going to get a lot higher price than everybody else who is uh, uh, bringing their uh, product to market at the same time. So hey, uh, I want to talk a lot more about transitioning to a light depth situation, but let's take another break. Um, you are listening to Shaping Fire, and my guest today is Eric Brandstad, co-founder of Forever Flowering Greenhouses. As a business owner, you are incredibly busy. In reality, you are responsible for everything your company does. You have so many responsibilities every single day that often you just don't have the time to really dig into something as deeply as you'd like. You know there is more that you could do to reach out to new customers and to encourage loyalty in the customers you already have, but you certainly don't have the time and you're not ready to hire someone full-time for that role either. For you, I recommend Blunt Branding. Blunt Branding Principles Kirsten Nelson and Anthony Garcia are focused on improving your bottom line. You know, most marketing firms are excited to make your logo, packaging, and website very pretty, but they leave responsibility for improving your bottom line up to you. They don't want that kind of responsibility. But that is pretty much the most important part of marketing, right? Kirsten and Anthony will help you engage new customers, funnel them to your point of sale, and keep them coming back to you and telling their friends. No doubt, this is a paid commercial spot, but that does not mean they bought my opinion. I've worked with Blunt Branding on three projects now for various clients, and every single time they have done more than they have promised and over-delivered on results. I love how they generate new revenue and focus on that as the goal, instead of just making me a pretty logo. Similarly, every friend I've referred them to has come back to thank me, and that just does not happen every day. So grab a pen and paper because the website address is coming. If you want someone to implement marketing programs that feed your bottom line, 
Give Blunt Branding a call. They will share proven techniques to increase your audience and generate sales while using cutting edge technology in the background that make all of this easy, automatic, and trackable. Go to shapingfire.com forward slash blunt branding to find out more. You can also click the link in our weekly newsletter. Blunt Branding, marketing that makes you money. Welcome back. You are listening to Shaping Fire. I am your host, Shango Lose, and our guest this week is Eric Brandstad, co-founder of Forever Flowering Greenhouses. So in the first set, we explained light depth and why it is totally badass to be able to add multiple cycles to your year instead of just growing one outdoor. In the second set, we talked about you know the, the variety of technological solutions from really simply pulling tarps all the way up to you know quarter million dollars sexy fully automatic greenhouses. So you know for a lot of people, we don't know what the what we don't know what we don't know in moving towards that. <laughs> so so. So, Eric, my first question for you is, you know, because of prohibition, lots of people have been indoors because they need to be both clandestine and also they want to control their environment. But a lot of these indoor growers, you know, they've kind of earned their master grower stripes and now they're being hired by a commercial company who's going to use a greenhouse so um, they can start using the sun more. What are some of the hints that you have for indoor growers that are moving to a greenhouse? house well you know i mean it kind of falls back to our last segment of getting a low-tech greenhouse and learning the craft because you know basically that's what's happening is that we have really great in successful indoor farmers or growers um that are put in the place of either consulting or maybe even hired or their their own businesses converting to greenhouses because economics and that's just what's penciling in now for everybody is not to shut down the indoor per se but to add greenhouses to it or even the outdoor isn't working out because we got rained on last year so either way everybody's circling the wagons around greenhouses and what i find um, has happened from prohibition it's not just that everybody was indoors because of prohibition and and that's what we had to do it's that a lot of books were also written on the craft of how to grow cannabis indoors and so what's happened is is if you think about it you know most farmers and families that have big commercial farms and things like that it's a family operation and it's passed on through generations or you're married into the family um, most of the people that you see growing cannabis weren't pepper farmers originally they didn't plan on growing anything and probably weren't in farming business whatsoever but cannabis became into their life maybe it became legal you know you know some of us pre-legal we just liked cannabis and so <laughs> you know one reason or another we we grew something you know, not a lot of people were green thumbs is all I'm saying, and cannabis made them become it. And so when you become a green thumb spe specific for one crop and you grow it specifically one way, you're probably going to read all the books about how to grow it the best that way and become the great farmer or indoor grower that they become. And it's not because they read all the books also and that's just how they learned it. They read the books to quantify things and made a lot of mistakes along the way and, you know, learn the craft overall but one of the things that is a is a, a the thread in all of that or a correlation in all of those things is that indoor growers have parameters and these parameters are basically you know 75 degrees air temp and let's say 35 percent humidity you know that's kind of a 
a standard parameter for an indoor grow room, especially a newbie. If they were getting into it, you'd say this is the air temp and you want to keep your humidity low um, to avoid PM and bud rot and all these things. And so, yeah, we're starting to talk about a controlled environment. And when we talk about a controlled environment, that's what we're talking about. We're controlling the environment, the temperature and the humidity, how often we water, the light levels, all these things to one, mimic Mother Nature um, and and two, to control the plant. Because if you don't control Mother Nature in that setting, let's say, if you don't become Mother Nature, you're going to lose control of the plant. And how do you lose control of the plant? Well, if it gets too hot, not enough water, too much light, you know, all these little parameters change, the plants get sick, they take on disease and pests and they die, or they just, you know, you don't get your product. So following the parameters has always been a safe bet for everybody along the way. And so with that correlation of those parameters, I guess you could say, um, people go, okay, we're getting into greenhouses now. We want to bring those parameters with us because that's how cannabis grows, right? Mm-hmm. They go, this is how cannabis grows. The only people- way. <laughs> yeah, and I have people that bring me the books. I have people that email me the paragraph. I have people that come to me and say, this is how it grows. And I go, yes, you're right. This is how it grows indoors, right? Yep. Indoors is the key word. It's not how cannabis grows. And so what we have to do is retrain these people to realize that there's outdoor growers all over the United States or Northern California or whatever for for a long time that have been growing out in the full sun. So they don't have the same parameters. You know what I mean? You can't tell an outdoor grower in in California in the summertime the, to, to turn the outdoor temperature down to <laughs> 75 degrees and lower that humidity you know, in July. Yeah, those plants need to be way more rough and tumble. You know, that's that's probably where, I mean, that is where, um, you know, indoor plants, especially if they've been super hybridized, get kind of a reputation for being wimps if you take them outdoors because they've been babied like Olympians for so long. You move them, right. you move them outdoors where, oh, man, we had an especially cold night or, oh, man, we had a freaking hot day. Um, you know, outdoor plants are, are burly, rough and ready for that kind of stuff. And so your parameters can get a lot wider. And, uh, yes. and from what you said in the second set, um, you know, it sounds like the, the best solution for somebody transitioning from indoor to maybe, maybe just having their veg indoor and, and, and doing a light depth, uh, cycles outdoors in the greenhouse would be to start by just getting yourself a small hoop house and just pulling that tarp uh, with your arms and and doing a cycle or two so you kind of like you know get it get it down because you know a good indoor grower is going to understand the changes in the variables really fast you know it's not like they're like starting over with cannabis it's just that they're expanding their scope of understanding of how how she can grow and then and then after that um, essentially read as much as you can from other people that are successfully doing light depth so that you can make sure that your your uh, your uh, greenhouse doesn't get too damn hot during the summer yeah correct because i mean a lot of people that are doing light depth aren't quite doing it right in the sense that you know most of the people that i talk to i'm actually you know when they come here to or even call and ask me about greenhouses you know a lot of times they ask me about a dehumidifier and a cooling system and so back in the day i used to just go into my regular typical well here's how we do it and this kind of thing and one of the reason uh, one of the things that i do now is i stop and i actually kind of interview these people a little bit more to get a little more 
more background in the sense that are you just familiar with indoor growing? Are you just familiar with outdoor growing? Maybe it's both. Have you been in a light depth greenhouse before? Maybe you have your own and maybe you've been to one before. And a lot of times the common thread is, is it gets really hot. It gets, you know, condensation drips and I have all these like situations. And so, you know, I need to get a dehumidifier. Or I need to get this cooling system or back up and get all these defaults. And it almost gets to be like the indoor idea in the sense that we're trying to control this environment to the sense that we're getting it to these parameters that might not be achievable in the greenhouse because we're outside. And one of the reasons I say that is because we don't have typical air conditioning systems for greenhouses. An HVAC system really doesn't work in a greenhouse because mathematically they can't uh, figure out the tonnage when the sun is bearing down on something. Um, if they, a lot of those real good AC guys tell you, put a shade over it. If you put a canopy, you know, put it in the shade, I can try to run some calcs. But when the sun's beating down on a greenhouse that has a cover that lets the sun inside, that essentially has solar gain, they just can't do it. And so even though people try a lot of times, um, it's going to cost them a lot of money. And remember, we got into this because we wanted a greenhouse. We didn't want a an energy house or, a, in, you know, back to the indoor room. We got a greenhouse to go green. And so let's not add a typical AC system to it because it's just not going to work and cycle off and cost a lot of money. And so then we talk about greenhouse cooling systems. What's a greenhouse cooling system? It's evaporative cooling system or other no, also known as a wet wall. And basically that's when water trickles over a pad, much like a swamp cooler, and fans are at the other end of the greenhouse. And the only entry point is through that pad with water trickling through it on the other end of the greenhouse. And so instead of intake louvers, you have water trickling over a pad. We still have the exhaust fans at the other end of the greenhouse. Water's pulled through that pad or the, the air is pulled through that pad. Even though it's got moisture, you know, the first set of plants are getting more humidity and more cool, cooler air than the plants at the other end of the greenhouse. And the other thing about evaporative cooling systems is they only work in places that are really hot and dry. So if you're in the Emerald Triangle and some places in Oregon, you know, the coast areas, you know, upstate New York even or the Midwest South, you know, the South. You're not going to be able to use an evaporative cooling system. And so the idea that you're going to get to these parameters just went out the window even further. And so a lot of people have a tough time swallowing these pills that I'm giving out and saying that it's best to avoid the solar gain, use the right greenhouse cover. And when I mean avoid the solar gain, I mean don't trap air. Because if we trap air, then we have to do something about it. And so, like I said, when people come here to meet with me, I usually ask them about their greenhouse experiences from their friends or themselves. And a lot of times I get down to the nitty-gritty of, okay, you've been trapping air. You've been trying to do something about it, like use exhaust fans or things, and it's not working. Even evaporative cooling system in an area that's got high relative humidity outside, they're not getting that temperature drop, but it's getting way more humid inside. They're using too clear of a cover, and too clear of a cover means you get more sun, and then the leaf surface temperature rises. When plants heat up, not just the air temperature, when the plants heat up, they have to sweat to keep cool. And so you can get a plant temperature that's higher than the air temperature or the same temp as the air temp, which is a high air temp, and the plants are sweating to try to keep 
keep cool. And so the greenhouse has become very humid. And so the default of the cooling system isn't working or not applicable. And then the other default is to get a dehumidifier. And so those typically don't always work. And some of the real big industrial dehumidifiers that you can get are pretty expensive and need three-phase power. And so that's why I try to go back to saying, look, you know, the person that's meeting with me or talking to me about these things, we really got to look at what the plant needs, not what the environment needs, because we're out here like an outdoor grower. We're using a greenhouse that was invented for wintertime and we're trapping air. Greenhouses are ideally designed to trap air and have these clear covers to have solar gain and heat up the plants. And so I like to back up and go, okay, we're cannabis growers using these apparatuses in the summertime. And so we don't want to trap air and we don't want to have to use a bunch of electricity in order to mitigate everything and so the best policy like i said about in the earlier segment is to avoid the solar gain and not trap air and so on hoop houses we're leaving the ends off and maybe rolling up the sides quite a bit on the gothic frames we're having a ridge vent and rolling up the sidewalls and even in the mega structures we can have double ridge vents um, and things like that uh, to help avoid the solar gain and at that point we're also using the proper greenhouse cover to spread the light uniformly diffused covers um, and then we're also not using those encouraging colors that we use and when people are here visiting me on site I use my infrared thermometer and I have all these things set up on site and so if you've watched some of my live feeds on Instagram and other things I'll actually go out in the greenhouse and I'll shoot the leaf surface temperature of the plants I'll open the door to the greenhouse and within 30 seconds you can see the leaf temperature drop dramatically and so we can really see firsthand that air temp and plant temp are two different things. I'll shoot the black ground cover or black, you know, swatches that I have in the greenhouse next to the white swatches. And so the indoor growers or a lot of the people that are trying to learn about the greenhouse craft that have the parameters stuck in their mind, and this is how cannabis grows, really soften up a little bit and start to understand that, yeah, there is outdoor growers and they do it outside in 100 degrees. And then there's this greenhouse thing over here. And they're saying not to try to control the environment, but to support the environment. Support it is what I like to say by using the right things that we've talked about and colors and so on to really support the plant so that we don't have to control this environment. The environment becomes supporting enough that the plant can grow to its fullest potential and not overheat and cause sweat and humidity and condensation that everybody always sees with their other setups or their buddies or the greenhouses they got before. Because if they haven't dealt with us, They've dealt with another company that really doesn't look out for cannabis first and foremost, or they maybe know about cannabis and they're trying to take shortcuts and not have people use ridge vents and cheap plastic that lets in too much sun. And at the end of the day, they're just not getting it. And so I really try to lay it out there so that people really get what we're saying and laying down. And it's amazing. I just was on the phone with a hydro shop owner that I've known for almost 10 years now. And he has his own greenhouse. And he has really never heard what I'm saying as much as we've hung out, as much content as I put out there. I was on the phone today and he, we zeroed in on a couple of things and he was just like, oh, I get it. <laughs> I get what you're saying. And it's, it's, you know, it's one of those things that 
I just keep trying to repeat myself in creative ways. And I'm thankful to you, Shango, for having me on this show to let me, you know, spread the same message. Right on, right on. Um, well, you know, it reminds me hearing you talk about it. It, it sounds a lot like um, like when I talked to uh, Tad Hussey from um, from Kiss Organics. He's always talking about, you know, building living soil. And, and his point is like, you know, don't dump a whole bunch of NPK, you know, bottled salts into your soil thinking that you're going to give your plant what you need. You know, build a microbe community in the soil so that the soil can just be itself and will naturally give the plant what the plant wants. Similarly, you seem to be describing the same kind of environment where, listen, if, you're, if your greenhouse is an open system, if you're letting the airflow naturally go, if you're, if you're not retaining heat, you don't have to add, you know, an air conditioner and a dehumidifier and all this other stuff, which is like, you know, like dumping NPK into your, into your soil. What you're suggesting is kind of like, you know, probiotic soil, but probiotic air, you know, uh, it, it's just yes. like letting, letting life, <clears throat> letting life be life in the greenhouse by thinking about what the plant wants instead of trying to create a, a very uh, thin specified environment it's a much more natural way to farm it's more affordable and you can produce some of the most top shelf products that anybody's ever seen a lot of people go well if you're opening the sides or roof you're letting in bugs bugs don't want to go to this healthy system bugs go to the plants that are yellowing with this nutrient lockout from too much transpiration a lot of people think in the fall it's the fade and it happens to be nutrient lockout i mean a lot of people have nutrient lockout um you know uh, even in light depth towards the end of the cycle because the plants are using an extreme amount of water to support those flowers and at the end of the day they've been trapping air and the plants really will live they do okay in abolic stress plants you know cannabis plants especially are pretty tough but a lot of people go when i pull my curtains or this happened or the fog rolled in or this cold night or this super hot day all hell broke loose well that's because they were always making those plants right at the line and when that one thing, that fluctuation in farming happened, they couldn't deal with it, and it was the nail in the coffin. And so we just try to avoid riding that line so that when fl farming fluctuations happen, it doesn't become the nail in the coffin either. Yeah, yeah, I hear that. Well, hey, Eric, thank you so much for being on the show today. I think that we did a pretty solid uh, job bringing people up to speed on how to think about modern uh, light depth and, and how to get a little light depth in their life. I appreciate you having me on, and if, if you wouldn't mind, I, I do want to plug something real quick. Yeah, go right ahead. And, yeah. Uh, April 7th here in Grass Valley, California at our facility, we are having a, an advanced uh, soil workshop with Elaine Ingham here and another guy from a company called Krasev Soil. And what they're doing is Elaine's actually here to learn. She even, even though she's the leader in the soil food web and living soil thing that everybody's into nowadays, uh, this guy's one of her, her advisors and he's been doing this now for two years in cannabis specific only, uh, situations. And he wanted to come host it here because just like you saw, Shango, a lot of what I am saying about the greenhouses is, is kind of symbiotic to what goes on with the soil and growing and some of this microbiology and so we're gonna the three of us are coming together here to talk about greenhouses 
he's going to present all the data and info and Elaine's here to kind of quantify and learn herself on all this info that she hasn't been exposed to. Man, that's going to be a real great brain trust too, because you know, I'm totally with you. I believe that the future of cannabis is uh, a probiotic living soil techniques matched with uh, light depth greenhouses. And it just kind of pulls everything together in a really healthy, sustainable way that makes totally killer flower. And um, yes, that workshop is you've got all the experts in one place. Yeah, and so April 7th, the tickets are online at Eventbrite. I have a link in my bio on Instagram, Forever Flowering Greenhouses, one word. And if you go to the link in my bio, you can get tickets. The tickets are a little bit, you know, some people might think they're a little pricey, but this is two years of data that this dude is revealing, and he's not just giving it out. Um, it's kind of like a Frenchie cannoli workshop in the sense that we're having some food. We're all going to be hanging out. We're going to be crunching some killer data with some killer people. And so I think it's worth every penny. If you buy early, you get a deal on the tickets. And if you wait, it, the price goes up a little bit. And uh, we'd love to have you here, Shango, too. And I can give you a little uh, – I can help you out on getting a, a press pass. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> right on, dude. Well, we'll have you back on the show here in a couple months to check in, hear how that went, and find out what the latest is in modern light depth. Thanks a lot, brother. Thank you. Eric Brandstad is co-founder of Forever Flowering Greenhouses. You can find out more at lightdep.com. That's lightdep.com. And don't forget to check out uh, the Forever Flowering Greenhouses Instagram feed. Um, it itself is really great, but especially when um, Eric uh, goes live and walks you around uh, either his or somebody else's greenhouses and just gives you great words of experience and best practices live. They are fantastic, and I've learned some of my most important stuff from watching them. You can find more episodes of the Shaping Fire podcast and subscribe to the show at shapingfire.com and on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you enjoyed the show, we'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a positive review of the podcast wherever you download. Your review will help others find the show so they can enjoy it too. On the Shaping Fire website, you can also subscribe to the weekly newsletter for insights into the latest cannabis news and product reviews. On the Shaping Fire website, you will also find transcripts of today's podcast as well. For information on me and where I will be speaking, you can check out shangolos.com. Does your company want to reach our national audience of cannabis enthusiasts? Email hotspot at shapingfire.com to find out how. Thanks for listening to Shaping Fire. I've been your host, Shango Lose. <laughs>